0: Hello and welcome to Inside the Squad, a community outreach podcast brought to you by the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is hosted by Lieutenant Scott Galloway and Specialist Shawna Wainscott of the Community Outreach and Crime Prevention Unit within the department. We discuss all topics related to the day-to-day operations of the Lafayette Police Department, and we feature interviews with officers and other public safety personnel who want to give you an inside look at law enforcement. Our goal is that you find this podcast interesting and informative, and we hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Welcome to Inside the Squad, your inside look at the Lafayette Police Department. Today we have another special episode with expert guests. We'll spend our time talking about the teenage brain. We've invited Rebecca Humphrey, who is the Youth Service Executive Director and Captain Kurt Wolf of the Lafayette Police Department. And before we talk to our guests, let's say hi to our crew. Today we have back Shauna Wainscott. How's it going today, Shauna?
2: It's going good.
1: Anything new in crime prevention?
2: Just doing a lot of community outreach.
1: All right. Busy with that on on nights and weekends, I know.
2: Yes, very busy.
1: And uh, we have Patty Payne, uh, Marketing Director for Lafayette Police Department, or for the City of Lafayette, sorry. How's it going, Patty? (laughs) Going great, thanks. And anything new in marketing?
3: Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, we're getting ready to reactivate our city Instagram account. And uh, Sean O'Reilly, who is also in marketing, is going to be bringing around a Snapchat.
1: All right, great. And then we also have with us Dr. Will Miller, who is the LPD staff. Psychologist. How's it going today, Dr. Will?
4: It's going really well. Yeah, I've, I really appreciate this opportunity because uh, after so many years of being a, a family therapist, I mean, th- these are questions that come up all the time within the confines of a particular family dealing with teens.
1: And we like having Dr. Will uh, occasionally come back, so he's a regular guest and we appreciate him taking his time.
4: It's a privilege. Thank you.
1: Um, today, we also want to thank our tech crew, Alan Schwab and Tom Melville, who are helping us record this and doing our IT work. And so, let's get into it about the teen brain. Rebecca, can you tell me a little bit about yourself first and um, what organization you're with and what you do?
5: Sure, Scott. Thank you so much for having us here. I appreciate the opportunity to um, speak to this important topic. My name is Rebecca Humphrey. I'm the Youth Services Executive Director for Tippecanoe County Government. And what that means is that I'm charged with ensuring there's a strong continuum of care for kids in the juvenile justice system. And I do that by overseeing our carry-home residential services, our um, juvenile community correction services, and then what's called our Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative. And that's within Tippecanoe County, and we're going to speak a little bit about that today as well as how to help kids.
1: Great. And and teenage brain is just an an interesting topic, um, kind of dissecting why people do what they do, especially kids. And we also have Captain Kurt Wolf. And uh, Captain Wolf, can you tell us about your experiences here at LPD, kind of... When and where you started and, and where you're at now? Well, not to age myself, but uh, I started in 1984
6: as a patrolman and moved up through the ranks. I have been a patrol officer, a juvenile detective, a sergeant on evenings. I've been a lieutenant in the juvenile division and a captain of all three of the
1: divisions and currently am captain of detectives. So this is a great background. Both of you kind of team up to, to work on this project, and this very important topic. So if I could just ask you a couple of questions today, we'll start off. Um, Rebecca, how did you become interested in the adolescent brain development? Tell us, you kind of dissect that and tell us uh, what that means and kind of what you do with the adolescent brain development. What do you know about that?
5: So we really became involved in what was happening with adolescent brain development through our work with the Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative. And Tippecanoe County became a site in about 2008. Marion County was a site previous to us, and the state, um, through the Indiana Criminal Justice Institute, the Supreme Court, the Department of Corrections, really looked at what are some ways that we can impact juvenile justice in the communities in the state of Indiana? And so Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative was a method by which the state identified um, some really great things that can happen for kids. So there was a um, request for proposals put out. Tippecanoe County was chosen as one of three. Um, of the very first sites to begin work on what does our juvenile justice system look like and what do we want our juvenile justice system to look like. And through that work um, and the work of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, which oversees the Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative, there are over 300 sites across the nation and Tippecanoe County is one of those. And because we can share resources and information, that's brought us to really look at and dissect our juvenile justice system and look at the data around it and then ask questions. And so it really became – it came from a question. We were looking at our data about arrests, and we were looking about specifically why kids were being arrested for resisting law enforcement without any other um, Hmm. kind of – ancillary crime so in other words it wasn't a theft and then the kids would run and and be arrested for resisting law enforcement it was really that officers would roll up to the scene and there would be something going on and kids would be there and they would just have this fight-or-flight instinct and they would run from police and police not knowing if they were involved or not had to pursue and police will always catch the kids and they do and then they were charged with resisting law enforcement or even worse battery on law enforcement because they would fight back and that didn't feel good to us as a collaborative, as a group of people talking about what's happening in our community. And so we really dissected those, those um, data, that information, and we said, what is this about? And so I'm going to turn it over to Kurt, who can really take it from that piece of what is this about to how we then got to this specific training.
6: Well, like uh, what Rebecca said, we looked at the numbers and the data, and we, we realized that there was something wrong here as far as the way maybe the police reacted to the juvenile in a certain situation. So um, me being at, at the time um, uh, captain of patrol, I knew from my training that there's very little to no training on juveniles and how to handle juveniles in the uh, Law Enforcement Academy or even our training, even though it's extensive through Lafayette Police Department, about how to handle these situations. So I tasked Rebecca with finding a <laughs> finding a training that would help law enforcement officers deal with the kids on on a one-to-one basis, what we needed to know, how we needed to handle it, in a better way so that we may be able to reduce these kind of situations so she uh, looked and and she found um, a training that uh, at the time indianapolis was using um, through strategies of for youth and she brought um, that training to a seminar type uh, thing in, in indianapolis where every Every Law Enforcement Agency in Tippecanoe County sent down either a Captain Chief Deputy Chief uh, to find out about this training through the JDI um, initiative and we saw it we loved it and we decided to bring it to Tippecanoe
1: County so that's a great segue and um, so dr. will may chime in here as you get into what are the main components of policing the team brain the, the team brain is different the way I'm understanding it than the mature adult brain so If you could talk a little bit about how it's different than other trainings, um, um, dealing with juvenile training with officers, because the brain's different. So if you can go down to adolescent brain development, demographics, resources, those kind of things.
5: Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is that, as we know, because we were all kids once, too, the hallmarks of adolescence are really marked by self-centeredness, impulsiveness, resistance to authority, that identity um, development. And it makes kids fascinating. It makes us fascinating because we are always intrigued by kids' creativity, by their willingness to do new things and try new things and their focus on themselves. And so those are all great characteristics of kids, but they're also the things that when authority comes up, it might cause some confrontation and might look like disrespect. So, trying to figure out what is it about brain development and that piece that we can then tap into um, to really help kids and police officers understand each other better. So, what we know about child or adolescent brain development is that physical coordination develops first. Okay, that makes sense. Everybody's kind of growing into their arms and legs, right? Then the next thing that develops is motivation and then the next that develops is emotion and the very last thing to de- to develop is judgment And so when police officers come upon kids or anybody, they expect them to enact in a way which is going to show better judgment than maybe what they did before. And that's just not possible right now with kids. You know, it's not impossible, but it's a high expectation. And so thinking about the difference really between kids and adults is that kids are really ruled by their emotion. That's why we call, you know, all teenage girls kind of have a histrionic disorder. And, you know, we think about boys in terms of their different kind of pushback with police officers and authority. And so, Kids are ruled by that amygdala, that emotion center part of their brain, um, much stronger because that hasn't developed. And adults are ruled by logic. And so when we hear that, we hear that adults will say, "Well, why did you do that? What was the logic behind that? What was the rationale? What was the reason?" And kids will say, "I don't know. I was whatever feeling." And it gets frustrating for adults and kids to interact because there's just different parts of the brains that have the, the, their brains that have developed at different. Um, pieces in their lives. It's,
4: a, it's really a great summary, actually, because you know the way I say it, you know, therapy in therapy, we're trained to sort of like step back and look at the large picture. And I've often said to people, look, there are real three three variables to a human life. One is your genetics. Well, that ship has sailed. And then uh, the, and the second one is the twenty years or so that you're in the custody of your caregivers, whether that's healthy or not healthy. But just what you're describing argues that uh, development for uh, teenagers and all adolescents really demands some healthy, healthy external controls. And oftentimes, in the, in the, you know, with, with the breakdown in society of relationships and extended family, kids don't have those external controls. I mean, school is one. The home you hope is another. But oftentimes, the external controls are, are surrendered to the peer group. And that's not a real reliable <laughs> control group uh, with, with judgment. You're right. And so, you know, it's interesting to me, just one last point, is that uh, – uh, growing up, I, I was never aware that the brain didn't develop until you're like 22 or 23. That's relatively new cultural information. People didn't know that. Most people, when you tell that to them, if they haven't heard it already, go, huh, really? I mean, that's true that you were not fully evolved as an adult, even though you kind of get set loose, cut loose, set free uh, before, in fact, you develop these these systems uh, you know, that you describe so well.
5: And it's interesting that car rental places figured it out long before mainstream put that information out about brain development, right? Because there's a huge hike in um, what you can rent a car at if you're 21 through 25, and 25 is that cutout whenever you can um, really reduce your car rental expenses. And isn't it interesting? That first started kind of with um, car rental companies, and now it's, it's really permeating as a, yeah, that makes sense, you know, the... Mm-hmm the emotion piece is so huge in our prefrontal cortex, which is the judgment and all of those control kind of functions just isn't developed
6: yet. And unfortunately in the police world, we're, we're treating kids like we think they should be as an adult because we've been trained how to, how to deal with adults. We've been trained how to deal with, with certain things. Well, that doesn't work with the, with the youth, with adolescents that don't have the brain development that an adult does. So this was a, a way of of training the officers to um, realize that and look at a different approach to these to these uh, does that kids.
4: argue does that argue Rebecca and, and Kurt uh, that that what has to be taken into consideration in addition to looking at the individual teen and where they are the, the health or the malevolence of the support group that they're embedded in. I mean, sort of the cliche of the gang and the gang's culture is the external, you know, well, we don't want to rely on on that kind of a judgment. And so, you know, officers encountering teens who become rebellious or defiant or obstructionist, uh, you know, what's the larger picture of that group and who they're listening to? I don't know how you deal with that, but I think that that's a, a critical factor here. What's, what's their social environment uh, that is either supporting Um, the development of logic and judgment or not.
5: Twofold answer to that, Dr. Miller, and that one is that what we what we know and what trauma research shows us is that what a child is exposed to really influences what parts of the brain develop when. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if there's huge chaos in the home and um, lots of difficulty and high emotions, if adults are running hot with emotion, then it's going to be really difficult for kids to become level, level, and, and level headed and develop those different parts. And that emotion center is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. And it doesn't have that opportunity to level out with age. And so that's a piece of it. We also know that that peer group, just like you mentioned, is so huge that in, um, in a group of kids, risk versus reward, it's really the risk. And that reward of that risk versus the reward of using good judgment, that makes the biggest difference. And so we found, and there's some different studies around, um, there was a great study about kids with a driving simulation game and how they drove in that simulation game with no one around versus how they drove with other kids around. And they did it with different age folks all the way up to adulthood. And although everyone had a little riskier behavior in groups, the kids had the riskiest behavior in groups. And it was because of that impulsivity, that desire to be liked, that need to be liked. Because as we know, you know, when kids are first little bitties, it's about parents are the most important. Those parents and guardians are most important. And then as we start to develop our independence, it's our peer group that becomes the most important and that reinforcement that we get from them. Fifteen and a half is really the age, the average age of kids we see in the juvenile justice system. And so, um, you know, that piece, that middle adolescence is really important to focus on, get as much training and understanding as we can around and help kids and police officers understand each other.
4: This is such a great way to frame it because if, if you can see examples of where it anecdotally does well, kids in sports, for example, essentially you know, without intending by the parents, surrender this external control and judgment to the team group and to and to coaching, to, to uh, you know, rational adults.
2: All right, so this question is for Kurt. When policing the team brain started, what were some of the things that you were hoping to accomplish on the police side? And do you feel that those have been reached?
6: Um, good question. Uh, I was hoping for training for all officers um, in how to deal with, with adolescents. Uh, better, in a better way, in a more um, conducive way to help. Um, So through policing the teen brain, um, we developed that training and uh, have given it to the officers. And, yes, we have seen a reduction of uh, at least 30 percent of the crime that have occurred that we were looking at the disorderly conducts the the resisting law enforcement those kind of things um over overall in the last five years is that right so yeah i do believe that it has helped um, and i do believe I, I get a lot of feedback from officers all the time about how great the training is and how they're happy that they now have another tool um, or at least understanding of how the um, adolescent mind works, and it's, it's worked very well, I think, out on, out on the street.
5: And we also get feedback that it not only helps professionally, but it helps in participants' personal life as well. So some of those officers who have teenage sons and daughters that are just trying to figure out kind of how to make all that work, it gives them some tips as well. Um, so it's not just about being out on the street. It's about our home life as well.
1: So what we're talking about is actually um, a program called policing the teen brain, and so can you dissect that program of what the officers actually get trained on, or what that looks like as far as how much time it is, what they learn during that that seminar?
5: Absolutely, it's a two day training, so it's sixteen hours total. The first day is just totally about adolescent brain development and so a psychologist is brought in and he provides um, really detailed but broad enough so that it's you know it's not a master's level course by any means or you know um, any kind of hugely complex dissection of the brain but just those brain basics of what does normal teen development look like what does adolescent brain development look like when there's trauma and what does adolescent brain development look like when um, youth are compromised or there's mental illnesses so that's the first day the um the latter part of that day is then specific to just law about juveniles and again it's something that was not at the academy um, prior to this Kurt has worked really really hard um with some other state folks to start to get a focus on kids as as Um, As much as there is with adults in the academy, um, it's a difficult pursuit because if you put new things into the police academy, you have to take something out. And no one wants to take the tactical stuff out and the safety stuff out. Um, So there is a, a push and awareness of the importance of it. And so a small piece of policing the team brain is now offered at the academy. So a police officers getting that at the very front of their careers. Um, but for this full day is is about an hour of an hour and a half of law specific to kids. Then the second day is really about our community and about um, what it looks like for police officers on the street. So there's a piece that's called Demographics, which is just data and information about our community, a piece about culture, so where kids are coming from, how that culture piece um plays a part not only in how officers see kids, but how kids see officers. And then there is a piece about asserting authority. And so we use an acronym called BLT. It's not bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Um, It's behavior, language, and timing. So it really talks about and has officers practice how their behavior language and timing is different for kids than it is with adults and then there's a role play piece which is fantastic we have kids come in um, and the kids actually role play out with the officers a way that they prefer to be interacted with versus a way that could be harmful. Um, And then we turn the tables and the kids get to be officers and the officers get to be kids. And it's a lot of fun to have the kids experience that. And there's been multiple sessions. We've done 17 now. There's been multiple sessions where the kids will pretend to be the police officers and they'll come up afterwards and they will say, on behalf of children everywhere, we apologize because they realize how difficult it is to be a police officer and and that you're sent in, um, you know, to, to opportunities and to intervene. And there's not a whole lot of tools um, that are there. So that piece is really important. Um, and, quite frankly, is rated really highly by the police officers, the opportunity to hear from the kids and to get their perspective. And when we ask, what would you like more of in this training? They're like, Every time it's the kid perspective, more time with the kids.
1: And where do you get the kids from to do the role play? Um,
5: We have kids who volunteer from community agencies. We have kids who are in the juvenile justice system, Um, kids from schools. We pull from anywhere that we can. These are kids
1: that that may have been in trouble that are potentially being the, on the other side, acting like they're cops. So they yes. kind of get to the both sides. That's an interesting take.
5: Yes, absolutely. And then we, the, the kids who come who have had previous interactions with police officers also are able to share, this is why I would run from police in the future, or this is why I wouldn't run, depending upon their interactions.
3: Kurt, it's, this sounds like, and Rebecca, this sounds like a wonderful training. Um, what goals have you attained? Are there any benchmarks, or how do you measure your success with this program?
6: Well, we measured it. Like I said, with the thirty percent reduction in those crimes um, that we we initially that initially brought this to the to our thought process, with that, and as well as the uh, feedback from the training of the officers. Um, it's not just Lafayette. It's it's Tippecanoe County. It's Purdue Police Department. It's West Lafayette Police Department, and we also have expanded it to community corrections. We've expanded it to social services. So several people are getting trained because we feel it's it's very important. But just to kind of give you an, an idea, um, we have trained for the Lafayette Police Department 123 officers through this pro- this process, and we are almost almost extensive. Well, I think. We figured it out after this last training that we had in September, only five officers that actually work the streets currently don't have it. So uh, the next training, we'll, we'll get them in and, and do it. So um, it is it is very well received. Um, the other thing that I need to point out is is that we have expanded it a little bit through Rebecca and, and the JDI system to teaching the teen brain. We're starting to teach um, teachers about adolescence because – we understand that they don't get a lot of that even in education, you would think that they would, but they don't so um and we have juvenile jeopardy we have so we're expanding it the idea of adolescent um, brain development to throughout um the juvenile area
3: and I'm sure it evolves over time and it's a continuing education for everyone correct
6: uh yes we we uh The whole training is involved. Obviously, we've been doing 17 years. And it's not just us, but um, we have trainers from the county and other officers from the LPD that train. Um, But it evolves currently, you know. And once we get everybody else, you know, hopefully we'll start doing refreshers and different things like that.
4: This is a big unknown for people out there listening to this, is that people assume that a police officer is trained at the academy – and then they're off and running. Have no idea about this is an illustration. This, the CIT training for mental illness, have no idea how much ongoing training. And I think you folks take this for granted, and it's like we need to have this out. This is why this is so valuable, that people don't know how much training the officers get across, not just the tactical uh, you, know, in, you know, engagements, but this psychological training. It's, it's incredible.
5: And I think it's important to shout out to LPD and the Sheriff Department. Um, specifically because we've watched many other Juvenile Detention Alternative Initiative counties across the state. There's 31 of us out of the 92 counties that are JDI counties. And we've watched them um, try to get Police the Teen Brain started. And then it's just there's either relationship issues or trust issues or um, other time commitment issues, whatever those things are, that they haven't been able to get it up and running. And so there are folks who have been interested in Police the Teen Brain as long as um, Tippecanoe County Has been and have not had any trainings. And so that's really because of Captain Wolf, um, because of Lieutenant Lowe at the Sheriff's Office, because of um, Deputy Gilman at the Sheriff's Office, and because of Jay Rosine here at Lafayette Police Department that that training keeps going because they come to the table time after time again to realize and recognize the importance of that and to be the top trainers. Um, and then they're asked to go to other sites and other counties to share that wisdom and train those folks up as well. So it's, it's really a kudos to those agencies working together um, that it's able to continue to be pulled off,
3: and so many folks are able to be trained up. Dr. Miller, as a layperson, I'd like you to define
4: CIT. I'm so sorry. Yeah. CIT, like this initiative, is a a really well-established initiative to uh, assist police officers when they encounter people uh, on the street and, and on duty who uh, uh, have mental health issues, for example. Like one of the latest iterations is anyone can imagine listening that when you encounter someone who's struggling with uh, autism or something on the spectrum, that their capacity for uh, social engagement reciprocally is, is really um, limited. And so when the officer is first encountering literally the facial expression, the response to, to, to all of that, you know, d- depression, anxiety, I mean, all of these things uh, are now uh, in the wheelhouse of police officers when they encounter a stranger on the street, when there's some action that's needed, that it it elevates their their sensitivity and their judgment. It's been incredibly effective, as is this. This I'm just really amazed at this. This is great.
5: And it's not just about police officers. The other thing we've realized is that it's a different time. It's a different generation. Um, When I was growing up, it was very clear if a police officer approached you and told you to do something, you did it. Now there's a lot more questioning, and that's generationally appropriate, right? And so thinking about how do we then help kids um, who you know, are doing things that are developmentally and generationally appropriate approach police officers as well. And so we have an excellent tool for that. It's called Juvenile Justice Jeopardy, and it's really a game where we go through um, five different categories of things within the juvenile justice system within the schools that could potentially get you in trouble and folks don't understand or don't realize or don't pay attention to those things. And then that awareness really works as prevention. And so whenever kids find out that you take your backpack into school and that is effectively the property of the school, that helps them make decisions about what they put in their backpack and what they take to school. When folks find out that your records are not automatically sealed in the state of Indiana, that helps folks understand about if I do make this decision, what's going to happen or what will potentially be able to be seen by
2: employers, by the military, by all of those folks in the future. So obviously policing the teen brain has made a significant impact on the criminal justice system here locally. What about the community? What kind of impact has it made on the community itself? I think for me,
5: it's exciting to see people talking about adolescent brain development. And then we hear teachers and um, educational staff and um, officials say, okay, can we have policing the teen brain too? Nope, policing the teen brain, that's for police officers, that has its own place. What if we develop a teaching the teen brain? And so we were able to develop a six-hour course for teachers that's really the same kind of specifics. It teaches about adolescent brain development, it teaches about resources in our community, and then it teaches alternatives to responses. So how to approach kids, how to remove kids from the audience. We know that's a big deal. If you're in a class and you call a kid out, you're looking for a kid to fire up and flame up and be even more distracted and disruptive than if you would just pull that kid out for two minutes and have a side conversation. So how we approach kids and the youth is really important. And so teaching teachers how to do that. So just like we found out police officers don't have that training Teachers don't either. And so then that developed to um, Parenting the Teen Brain, where, again, the same kind of review and remarks, and we piloted that in Tippecanoe, that is actually um, Teaching the Teen Brain is a Tippecanoe County program, Parenting the Teen Brain is a statewide program, and so that's still um, working kind of its way out to see what that program will look like and what those specifics will look like. But then... Countywide, we were able to um, use some of our JDI funding to develop understanding your teen brain. And so this is the one I'm really excited about right now because it's going to roll out and we're going to practice it with kids and it's teaching kids to understand their brain and understand their brain development and what that means for when they're making decisions that are based out of emotion. It may be the right time to stand up and plant your flag and, you know, really be passionate about a cause, but... It may not be. And we need to figure out, is there a way then to help you kind of kick in your logic at different times and practice those skills? Because we know that those connections, that really makes perfection and that really helps kids then
2: make the choices that can help their brain develop. So we're talking about all these great programs that you guys offer. Where would somebody go to sign up for one of these programs? So,
5: policing the teen brain, you got to be a police officer, um, you'll you'll be able to go through the rotation. Teaching the teen brain, there are trained trainers in Lafayette School Corporation and Tippecanoe School Corporation. And so, the superintendents of those schools and the um, assistant superintendents of those schools know who the trained trainers are in each of those schools, and they can um, offer trainings at the school level for both of those. Parenting the teen brain has yet to come back to Tippecanoe County again, so that one's not currently available. But hopefully it will be available soon and then understanding your teen brain this fall yet we'll go through some pilots and some practice to refine um, the program and then it will be released to um, all the schools to churches we'll do a big media blitz to get that out to folks and community organizations to begin to offer that
1: one question for uh, captain wolf and we we talk about Some of the the reasons why you're doing these programs is to change um, people's outlook on what juvenile policing looks like. And you're a perfect person to ask this question generationally. um, You almost get to a point in in police work where you've been around long enough, sorry to say it, that you start seeing not only generationally but even third generation um, folks that uh, may be involved in in the justice system. So are there generational issues with policing, um, meaning that parents do they sometimes uh, not give good co- coping mechanisms to their kids to um, deal with police, or they get in trouble themselves? So do you see generationally people getting in trouble? Certain families that are always in trouble.
6: Uh, yes, we you know we've uh, found out that um, some families will 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 go, you know I don't know I don't know how to say it, but you know. I know there are kids that we are arrested now that I've arrested their grandparents, you know, those kind of things. Um, and I think the key is that, that a lot of that is, 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 um, they don't have the right role models of different things like that. Also you have teens having kids, um, you know, the breakdown of the family, but somewhere along the line, we have to break the cycle. You know, and if we can develop a way of dealing with the kids differently than what we dealt with their parents or, you know, or or the the horror stories that they will tell, um, then maybe we can make a difference in that realm as well.
4: If you'll allow me to get philosophical for one minute, Uh, let's face it. What we know about from psychology is that – Good human functioning means that you're anchored in a sense of meaning. You have meaning in your life. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Sort of little chaos about finding meaning. The example I've used when I give talks sometimes is that a lot of us know a kid, let's say a boy, who is a real knucklehead in school, you know, defiant and off the rails, and for whatever reason they get inspired and they join the Marines or the Army and they leave in June after graduation, and they come back in December and are completely transformed. And you're going, what did you do in six months that we couldn't do in all of that time? Well, think about it. It's pretty logical. They were surrounded by a system and a structure of reinforcement externally that was not just discipline, but giving them meaning and purpose. And that's the beauty of everything from the military to sports. So my, you know, in addition to this fabulous program of dealing with police officers, the police officers uh, need the help of the larger community to understand these dynamics, to say, look, you can't be waiting for the police department to come in and have an encounter with you that's more successful because they understand this. What are we doing as a community? I mean, what are the schools doing? What's the society doing? This is, this is my passion all the time, is that we don't have the extended family. And so if your mom and dad are not really able to kind of provide that, where are the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles? I don't know how to solve that, but I think that's the larger societal problem that, gee, once again, we're relying on the police officers to kind of solve our big problem. And so this is a shout out to the public, to understand these dynamics about human behavior, which you know, and it can't be solved by law enforcement completely, but kudos to what you're doing.
6: Well, I'd also like to kind of add that through my training and through all my you know, understanding of this is that um, kids will outgrow adolescent risky behavior. They outgrow criminal behavior. You know, and if we can keep them out of the system until that happens Mm -hmm. through some of these programs, through the way we the officer, you know, connects with the kids right up front through BLT, maybe we can make a difference in that way. Because, you know, if they if they can get past that growth area, then they become, you know, normal uh, good citizens.
3: Right. And, and it's kind of a misnomer, policing the teen brain, because as you said, teen brains or brains develop a little bit later than what we expect. And so um, at what point do we say that it's still worthy to approach these teens with, with any of these uh, programs that we have? I mean, could you go into their 20s? Does it relate better as they're older, younger? Um, have you done anything on that to, to try to determine the best approach? Typically
5: um, about 12. Is when we'll start. Much younger than that, kind of, you know, it doesn't take, or you lead them into a path of thinking about things they're not ready to think about just yet. So typically, 12, um, we've brought on Purdue University as a part of policing the teen brain because they have a lot of young kids whose brains aren't developed over there in West Lafayette and a lot of potential for issues, as they well know. And so, you know, I think that um, typically in the juvenile justice system and social services programs, End at eighteen, um, but that's a great question, Patty. Should it be? You know, can can there be a way to expand that as we learn more and more about brain development to actually capture kids in a meaningful way, even when they're adults and not kids anymore?
1: And one last question for you, and I going mean, to we'll wrap up here a little bit. Um, what is carry home? Uh, I know you have. I want to get. Get this information in, and what is your role in dealing with um, juvenile alternatives?
5: So, Carry Home for Children is a residential um, facility at its core. That's what we were started at, uh, as in 1930. And so, it's actually an orphanage. And then, as the community has changed, um, Carry Home's programming really has changed. And so, Carry Home um, went from an orphanage to a group home to a residential treatment facility. And now, not only houses um, and treats youth who can't live at home because they need additional support, structure, and supervision than they can get at home, but it also provides a lot more programming. So what we've realized in years is that congregate care, um, putting kids in big places away from their parents, that's really artificial. It's not real true life at carry Home, you know, because we score kids for how they make their bed. What kids get scored in the, in the real world for how they make their bed? And they're on a level system. That's not real life. And so we've realized that that piece of not being real life hasn't necessarily set kids up. Um, well for adulthood, but there still is a place for it. Um, when kids have nowhere else to go and need that support, structure, and supervision, there needs to be a place for residential. But more importantly, can we help kids figure out how they can get their needs met in the community while giving the parents the support, structure, and supervision as well? So the programs at Carry Home have grown into now day and evening reporting. Um, we have truancy mediation programming as well to help parents get back on track Um, with their kids keeping and staying in school because we know that that's a gateway and a predictor of delinquency along the way. And then also we have evidence-based groups that happen every day at Carry Home that are really specific to reasons that bring kids in the juvenile justice system. So that's a long answer. Scott, the short answer is that really and truly kids have to be ordered by the court. So kids already have to be in the juvenile justice system in order to access um, most of the services at Carry Home and within youth services. And that's where we're really charged with what can we do then to keep kids out of the system? Because we know that kids being dragged into the system often makes them worse and often sends them on a trajectory that they would never be on. If they hadn't been kind of captured in the system, so then how do we make all of those resources and referrals and keep them out of the system? And we have 211, which is an excellent resource, and so instead of, you know, or not instead of, but rather than 911 or along the same lines of 911, you can dial 211, which has resources to help parents with individual counseling, um, family counseling referrals, daycare. I mean, all kinds of different things and opportunities that are available in our community. Bauer Family Services is an excellent resource as well. There's a Bauer Family um, Resources Guide that's available on their website that also provides links and information about food pantries and all kinds of different assistance that – parents and families can get. And then obviously NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, is a great resource in our community as well. So we get probably once a week phone calls to carry home that says, my, my child's out of control. I need to help them before they get into the system. What can I do? And we praise parents for not calling the police um, to have police deal with that because that's not what they're equipped for. And then we give them these resources and these, um, that information in order to hopefully kind of get the family some help and, and support.
1: So that's great information um, because we try to uh, – our theory or our, our saying is that we are one spoke in the wheel, and so there's other people need to take some onus of responsibility, and that's a great great program to have. appreciate that. Uh, we do have a couple questions, uh, at least one for uh, probably Captain Wolf and maybe Rebecca if you can answer this too. So, Sean, what's the question you have?
2: So we know that teens – nowadays have more access to technology than when, especially when any of us have we're growing up, and I'm only in my 30s, and I can't imagine having all the technology they have now. It seems like they all have cell phones and talk and social media. So as parents, oftentimes we get asked, what are some of the dangers or warning signs that we should watch for in our teens, or what should we look at?
6: I think um, probably the, the biggest one is a quick change in behavior. Um, if someone is is acting normal and everything and then all of a sudden boom they they, something's happened that they changed that that to me means or most people think something happened that changed um so you need to investigate that now it's not unusual for adolescents to to withdraw you know and and be in their their rooms and different things like that but total isolation from the family um is is a little off you know should send up some red flags also, as far as the technology goes, um, they they shouldn't be secretive about their phone. You ought to be able to look at their phone at any time and not have not have any concerns. Um, that that to me, you know, with the sexting, with with you know the a lot of the internet stuff, the you know the the predators out there, they you should be able to to look at their phone. You're paying for it. More than likely, so you ought to be able to see what's on that phone. Um, And if if they're very secretive about it, or, you know, and it's normal for kids, obviously, to be secretive. You know, they don't want, you know, they want to have their own world, but um, it's still important that that those are are areas that, that need to be looked at.
3: So, like, if in everything else in parenting, there is a fine balance, you don't want to necessarily invade their privacy, but you do want to protect them. Correct. Absolutely, and I think prevention is really important. And so
5: talking to your kids before they get to be teenagers or before you get them that first phone about this is just what the standards are going to be and this is what the expectation is going to be. And the expectation is you give me your passwords. The expectation is that I'm going to be looking at it. The expectation is I'm going to look at Facebook and see if you have some sneaky account that's not in your name. All of those things we know that kids do because that's normal adolescent behavior. But we also know as parents our expectations expectation is to be one step ahead. You know, I'm not a week ahead of my kids. I'm one step ahead and it's exhausting sometimes, but one step ahead. And then the other thing is using what happens on the media. Don't be afraid to talk about it. If someone is sexting and your kids know about it, use that as an example, educate them and make sure that they know that that information is out there forever and anybody can access it see it, Google their names, and find that information if it gets on the internet. And so that prevention piece, but also not being afraid to talk about it. It's hard to talk about because it's a really personal, private thing, but it's really important to talk about.
4: The bottom line is that adolescence, from 12 to what, Rebecca, 24, 25, is akin to a, uh, a chemical volcano, an eruption. And uh, eruptions of passion uh, want to find a place to put the passion. And so healthy parenting, living structure in society is helping them redirect those passions into healthy outcomes. And left untamed, it just becomes Mount St. Helen. Good luck with that. <laughs>
1: We want to thank our guests today, uh, Captain Wolf and Rebecca Humphrey, for sharing what's an incredible program. Uh, So we appreciate you guys stepping in today and helping us out. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And also, Dr. Will, you got anything you're plugging as far as a book or anything coming up? uh,
4: My new book is called uh, Miserable at Work. And uh, it's about uh, – I, I know it's provocative. Most people love what they do. The privilege I've had of being involved with law enforcement and teachers and plumbers, most people like what they actually do. It's the cliche of the, quote, other stuff that drives them crazy. And so the book argues that your career is an important part of your meaning, but it's not the totality of your meaning. It's your home life and your family life every bit as much as your job. So get busy. Where can you uh, pick that That book up at? Uh, My website is drwill.com, and I have podcasts there, and I will be absolutely rebroadcasting this on the website. Awesome. appreciate it. For sure.
1: And, uh, Sean, do you got anything going on crime prevention tip-wise?
2: Yes. So lately we've been seeing a slight increase in some vandalism, criminal mischiefs, and thefts from vehicles. So the biggest thing is obviously don't keep your valuables in your vehicles because this often will lead to thefts. We are seeing car windows being broke out again. Uh, Another thing is, is you know your neighborhood, so you know what's normal and what's not normal. If you're seeing something that's suspicious or not normal for your neighborhood, please call our dispatch at 807-1200 and let them know what's going on. And we obviously know that falls upon us. It may not feel like it right now with 90-degree weather, but it is going to eventually cool off. And with cool weather, we have people that like to open their windows and get the nice fall breeze in their house, get all the stuffiness out from the air conditioner running all summer. The biggest thing, make sure that you close and lock your windows when you leave because oftentimes we'll see burglaries from people going in through the windows. And if you sleep at night with your windows open, we suggest that you don't because you don't know what could happen.
1: Great tips. And then um, the last thing we're working on uh, coming up in October is Coffee with a Cop on October 6th. So we'll put some information on that on our website and on our social media. And also look for us in the spring of 2018 for our next – citizens academy class our current one is filled up and um off run to a good start but we do get a lot of requests for that and that's going to be in the spring of 2018 and lastly we'd like to thank we'd like to thank everybody for listening to our podcast uh you can download past episodes so we have a a good library so far of episodes and follow us on twitter instagram also sign up for Nextdoor and nixel alerts and we'll put those um those addresses on the show notes Anything else, Patty? Nope, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and see you next time on Inside the Squad. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Squad from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Be sure to check out past episodes and subscribe for new ones on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question for the show, you can email it to podcast at lafayette.in.gov or connect with us on Nextdoor, Twitter, and on our website, lafayettepolice.us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Inside the Squad.